This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprise, providing expertise and infrastructure to help companies transform their business with AI. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Thursday, January 10th, The Washington Post brought together pioneering researchers, technology innovators, business leaders, and other experts for Transformers Artificial Intelligence. Speakers discussed the latest advances in artificial intelligence, considered how its applications impact our daily lives, and explored critical questions that will profoundly affect the way we integrate and utilize this swiftly evolving technology, from government policy to medical diagnoses to our criminal justice system. In this segment, leading policymakers discuss how Congress and the federal government can work to regulate artificial intelligence, prepare the American workforce for the jobs of the future, and incorporate new technology in federal agencies to improve information sharing and make governing more efficient and accountable. Let's listen. Uh, I'm Brian Fung, a technology reporter here at The Washington Post. Thank you all for joining us. Um, We've got a fantastic panel lined up today uh, with... uh, Megan Kelly, uh, former CTO of the United Smith. States. Yeah. And, um, I'm sorry, Megan Smith. I'm so yeah. sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> different Megan. I'm an engineer. I don't know if I'd be so good on you know, um, talk shows. Uh, and uh, the, the head of Shift 7, which is yeah. an organization that connects entrepreneurs and innovators. Um, yeah. uh, all, Tech forward innovation. Yes, yeah. all around the world. Thanks. Um, Congressman Pete Olson, uh, who is the Artificial Intelligence Caucus co-chair. And uh, Congresswoman Robin Kelly, who's the chair of the House Technology Accountability Caucus. Um, So thanks very much for joining us. Um, Just as a reminder, you can all uh, submit questions. I've got a little uh, tablet here um, using the hashtag post live. And um, to kick things off, uh, you know, I just figured I'd ask since it's relatively uh, relevant, um, you know, how long is it going to be before I'm out of a job? (laughs) <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's interesting, we, we sent a memo to President Obama uh, when we were working on the AI reports um, about what is happening in AI, and one of the things it said is, you know, narrow AI is here. You know, we see self-driving cars and vision and these kinds of things. Generalized AI, probably a couple decades. He said, uh, he, he wrote back, that's not too long from now, let's get ready. <laughs> and you mentioned uh, Elon Musk, we were talking about yeah, Stephen yeah, Hawking yeah, yeah. and those things. Uh, you know, it really is the challenge of our time. And uh, and I believe that the opportunity is really about collective genius and the surface area of participation. That the more of us that are involved in this and part of it, and not um, subjugated by terrorist like style uh, math, you know, learning and stuff. So we make everyone afraid of math in school, except a few who make through. But the more of us who can be included in the conversation, the more likely we are to succeed. One of the biggest findings of the research was that we don't have enough AI. Yep, yep. We have AI applied to self-driving cars and precision medicine and you know robotics in certain sectors. Uh, clearly, we're doing it with social media, and we have some weaponization going on with the election tech and other kinds of things. But we're really not applying it. I mean, why would AI and data science not be for poverty and justice? You know, why wouldn't it be for equality? Um, and I'm going to show you some images later, a little bit about that. But but it's and you guys are you know we're really helping us broaden out into that. So I think it's not about the founder of AI. Most people have never heard of because history erases a lot of. Uh, 
women, but uh, Ada Lovelace, anybody ever heard of Ada Lovelace? So when Darwin wrote his paper on the origin of the species, the history of us, Ada also wrote a paper at the same time, 55 pages, about the future of us. You know, the first algorithms are in that paper. She's Lord Byron's poet, math daughter in that rural society when Frankenstein was written around the same time. You know, and she wrote about how we would be with, how, how this could help us. It wasn't imitation, let's fake you out, let's trick you, uh, which came later with Turing about 100 years later, and he refers to Lady Lovelace. So I think it's interesting to think about what is it we want to do, and you know, sometimes we talk AI for good. Well, is all the other AI for greed? Like, let's like make AI. You know, Nat Geo just announced AI for Earth. What can we do to include everyone? Can we add data science? We were talking about children at school. You know, can we get all of our kids into computer science for all? Wyoming has it. Other people have it. That kind of work. So, mm -hmm. I think it depends. Is the answer yeah. on us? And it's 100% in our control if we have the will. Congressman, do you want to reflect on that? Great news, Brian. Rob and I have great news for you you will have a job, yeah. a better paying job, different job for sure, but a better paying job because of AI. Yeah. And that's our challenge. There's lots of fear. This is big time change. And big time change causes fear. Yeah. And there will be job losses for sure, transitions. Not losses, but transitions. For example, who's heard of Big Blue? IBM. Their business when I went to Clear Lake by NASA was big mainframe computers, these massive computers. And they made chips, basically hardware. They do none of that right now. They've transitioned. And those people working in those positions have jobs still in the new IBM. Another example, Amazon.com. They're embracing AI. But to train people in their new jobs, they keep them there in-house. Mm -hmm. Great, say, hey, listen, your job's going away, sure. We'll keep you here, we train you. Oh, by the way, after you're trained up with AI, you'll be more productive, you'll work less, you'll work for eight hours and produce 16 hours of work, you'll be happier, better employee. It's our future, embrace it. Either get on the train or get off the tracks, because it's coming down. I really think it comes down to preparation and anticipation, mm -hmm. and then educating our children, but also in educating our children, have the mindset that you're, you're not going to keep this one job, your job is going to change all through your life, not like my parents were in the same job, I've been in different jobs, not like what's coming ahead, and just that mindset that because of technology, AI, things are going to be constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even in this, you know, today's workforce, a lot of people switch jobs, you know, oh, every definitely. three to five years, and I mean, people have multiple jobs at the same time. So. Um, Megan, I wanted to return to something that you brought up um, in your remarks, which was, uh, you know, something I hadn't really thought about, which was, you know, how we make people afraid of, mm -hmm. of math. And um, certainly, you know, that was, that was the case when I was growing up. And um, so I just wonder, you know, what policies we need uh, or you know, what culture changes we need to help bring people into the fold when it comes to, to math and science. Yeah, the, the good news is uh, almost all these problems are solved in a specific way. And the question is, can we scale them? Like, for example, that's a Raspberry Pi, right? It's a, a cool little board. It's just like the board from your phone. You know, in England, all the kids are getting these. So what, how cool would it be if you were in kindergarten, first grade, you got one of these, and you're like, oh, okay, this is how I plug in my headphones, and here's how I put power. 
And uh, you know, this is what Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had at the home brew, right, when they made Apple, but it was a little bigger. <laughs> uh, but really, like, how do we get more familiar and comfortable like the IBM folks and, and learn to make this a fluent thing just like you would read and write? So the good news is uh, Wyoming has voted already uh, that all children uh, from kindergarten will learn coding, computer science, and computational thinking fully deployed by 2023. You can learn, you can't graduate from high school in Chicago without learning to code. So the, this computer science for all, uh, around all people. Muskogee Creek, Creek Tribe in Oklahoma teaches robotics and Head Start. So what we need to do is go find this great stuff that's already working, that's used budgets we already have, and help share rapidly, almost like community organize, you know, the teachers there. So that's good at that level. For the grown-ups, how do we get familiar? Um, there's a great program we started and it continues called Tech Hire. Uh, and it's really find the techies in town, uh, find these new boot camps. 23,000 Americans are going to graduate from Code Boot Camp this year. It's like a no-collar tech. Uh, it's three months, not years, and you just get apprenticed into tech. And the great news is it's gone from two or three employers willing to hire from there to 1,500 and growing. I was just uh, in Memphis where we have 45,000 young people out of school and out of work in their 20s. Basically, what are they doing? Burning down the city. So instead of that, there's now, Mecca and others have started Code Crew, and people are transitioning, including those sometimes coming out of prison or aging out of foster care or veterans or others, into the tech center sector where we have uh, Service Master. You know, we've got uh, FedEx, we've got, they're starving in Memphis, and they've got this employee base, but they haven't figured out how to route folks. Mm. So now 70 cities are doing this fast routing, boot camp to work uh, for thousands of Americans and filling the millions of jobs we have uh, around the country in this sector. So it's exciting. Con Congresswoman, you were speaking a little bit earlier about how there's just a, a complete shortage of you know, talent and, and labor right. uh, for a lot of businesses in your district. My district is urban, suburban, and rural. I have the south side of Chicago, the south suburbs, and then I have 1,200 farms in my district also. But when I visit my employers, they say the same thing. We can't find enough people. People don't have the tech acumen. And it's not that they have to have a four-year degree, but that program is so important because I see you know, parts of the Chicago I represent have the gun violence issue. And if we could teach job skills and things like that, people will pick up, you know, pens, pencils, job skills, not guns. Mm. And uh, it offers such opportunities. So I, th I think it's so important to have programs yeah. like that. And Brian, one thing that Echo Robin's comments I'm seeing every day back home is there's been this notion for my whole lifetime, to be successful in America, you have to get a four-year degree, a BA or a BS. Otherwise, you can't succeed. We're seeing that changing. Local colleges like Alvin Community College, San Jacinto back home, Wharton College are stepping up and training people with good paying jobs that can pay good money for a lifetime. A few examples. Um, at San Jacinto, with a local school district, you graduate from high school, walk across your diploma, shake the superintendent's hand, come background, change gowns, get your AA in some skill from the college the same day. So you're going to the workforce, a good paying job with no debt. Your brothers and sisters in high school are going off to a four-year college, hey, I got my degree, but I've got this big debt. Wow, I've got a beach house coming down the road because I've got so much money. And this is not just, these are high-tech jobs. For example, south of my district, there's this nuclear power plant called the South Texas Project. Has two reactors, been up and running since 1979. You do the math, the guys working there from, from the get-go 
are now retiring. The local county judge who runs our counties in Texas said, one local college is Warren County, help me retrain the workforce. And so these high school graduates are going to a local college with no BA and running nuclear reactors. And we should embrace that as a big part of that because that makes that worker better, more viable, more efficient, drives down costs, drives up productivity, it's just great. Also, a big study from PricewaterhouseCoopers about a month ago, AI will add somewhere north of $17 trillion to the world's economy in 10 years. That's, there's only one country that has more than that GDP, that's America. That's more than China's GDP AI in 10 years. Embrace the change, embrace, embrace, don't be afraid. So I think this we have to start young though, because um, we have community colleges that have the, the graduate and work, or they work with the company, so the students have the job skills, but you know, we have to start in fourth, fifth, just to get people in that mm. mindset that mm. yes, you can do this. So this isn't strictly related to AI, but since we've been talking about it, I figured it's, a, it's an interesting segue. You know, we have um, uh, a major issue in this country with the cost, the exploding cost of higher education. Yep. How do you see some of this educational shift uh, affecting that trend? Well, that's the issue for sure. And Congress has to address that as well. But the big thing, I started the AI caucus last Congress with a Democrat who's retired from, from Maryland, uh, John Delaney. And he's been replaced by Jerry McNerney from California. And guess who joined the caucus today? Yay. <laughs> Yay. Thank you, Robin. And basically, caucus is to make sure Congress gets in front of AI and not working from behind. As I mentioned, this is our future. It's scary, it's changed. As Megan mentioned, smart people like Stephen Hawking's and Elon Musk have said AI can destroy society, mankind goes away, doom and gloom. They're smart people and they're afraid of change. We have to embrace a change and the caucus has a bill called the future of AI and Robin knows, listen, these are two words you rarely hear in DC, it's <laughs> bipartisan and bicameral house and senate with the same bill and all this bill does is say hey congress take some time put a panel together look at how dc is doing federal government the ai and make suggestions improvements and we hope to get that through because again it's bipartisan bicameral and let's get started quickly embrace the change because this is the world's future so I wanted to, to drill down a little bit on that question still. Uh, you know, how do we make higher education more affordable so that more kids can um, you know, take up uh, some of these skills or um, get involved in, in math and science? I mean, for me, I, I think it comes down to um, prioritizing what we think is important. And um, education is very important. You've used the term, you don't have to get new money, just to rework the money. Yeah, dust off the budget. <laughs> dust off the budget. And I think that we have to serious look, seriously look at that. We have to look at um, our student loan program um, because that's an issue to the interest rates that uh, students are paying. And um, also working with um, businesses to see you know, can you sponsor, mm -hmm. like in, like starting with internships, so you're grooming and helping to educate 
the people that you're going to mm -hmm. eventually hire. Yeah. You know, so I mean, the government has some programs like that. Um, but you're right, it's very expensive, and some people don't even think about going to school. But I think we have to relook at the budget mm -hmm. because when you look at countries like China, the money that they're putting into education and research and development and all those things, but we, well, we need to make sure we have people going forward that can do those things right, also. Right. We've spoken a lot about um, the promise of AI uh, so far this morning, but let's talk a little bit about the pitfalls and the potential biases that could be introduced um, and the kind of regulation or oversight that might be necessary uh, in light of that. Maybe, Megan, you want to start off? Yeah, I brought just a few images uh, to share with you guys to really illustrate this point, but you know, a simple example would be uh, the technology on the phone in your pocket. It has a relatively racist camera, right? Because when you take photos of certain race people, you have to light balance it. So for example, uh, AI and machine learning face recognition doesn't recognize certain skin colors very effectively, like putting your hands under water and the light doesn't turn on. So that is really unacceptable. This is another really good example here, if we bring it up. Um, this is interesting from Hollywood, and it's showing you who gets to speak in, in the media we watch. And so we could have the AI look at all the media we had and make the same world, but do we want to make this world? Or do we want to notice the problem and then invent something new? For example, this is children's TV. So men's lines to women's lines, and children's TV, men in blue, women in red. So we're learning as children that women speak less than men. Is this what the society bias is doing in the media that children are watching? When we grow up, this is what we see, men's lines to women's lines in 2,000 films. Right, and so as we get older, men get more lines. When we get, we don't want to make that. So, for example, Jeff Bezos, of course, we're here at the Washington Post. They had some AI trained on hiring, and it started just hiring men because the tech industry is biased. So, we don't want to take our old biased world and just algorithmically make it more effective to disinclude some people and accelerate others. Um, and an example of what you can do about this, you know, here's Star Wars on the left in 1977 by gender and race in terms of who got to spoke. So Carrie Fisher's lines up there in yellow, and then Rogue One. It's interesting to show this to our Hollywood colleagues. They're like, wow, we thought we did better on diversity, but they didn't. So what could you do about it? The See the face recognition on the screen? Yes. So you can actually use, when we don't need the audio, but you could use the, uh, the face recognition, natural language processing like Alexa and Siri to actually analyze the dailies and the scripts as we're making them because our Hollywood colleagues don't mean to be biased. And so we're actually doing this and bringing it to clinical trials and working on that. So this is an application of AI in trying to make media more equal. Right, so that's something that we can, can give research funding to. And I just want to point out this point I was making, which is, you know, do you guys recognize these places in the desert? There are two of them. Anybody know where this is? Burning, Burning Man on the top. Bottom is Zatari refugee camp on the Syrian-Jordan uh, border in Jordan. They're governed very differently. Why are we doing that? You know, all, all this ability we have, we deploy the internet at Burning Man for a couple days. Why aren't we deploying the internet and letting the talent of Zatari lift itself out of the very difficult situation? You know, so so many uh, systems are not using these great technologies, and yet we have those humans on the planet. We could rotate them. Just the last one I'll put out because I have my incredible Congress colleagues. This is bipartisanship that's changed over time because our media landscape and silos. And President Washington in the first State of the Union said, there's nothing which better deserves your patronage than science and literature knowledge 
is in every country is the surest form of public happiness. And so fake news knowledge, how do we get out of those media silos you know, that we're in and use AI for this comms technology, use AI for, you know, we were talking about precision agriculture. And, and I think one of the coolest opportunities is to bring data science into our high schools as one of the capstones like calculus and get the kids involved in data that they're interested in. Data science brings you to AI. And we all have biases. We're human beings. We're biased. For example, my bias came out this morning. My sweet friend here is from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, my watch is a football game that happened this past Sunday. Not good for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> okay. I assumed she would be upset. She lives there now, but she's from New York. She was happy. No, no. I <laughs> my, my husband might be watching. Don't say that. <laughs> But my point is, we all have natural biases, and that says human beings. And so when going forth with AI, and this I talked to the IBM people in Austin, Texas, which is now the Southwest Silicon Valley, they have this project there called Watson, which is their AI prototype. And their big effort is to make sure our biases don't enter into the algorithms, because that's, we have to keep checking, checking, checking. Like I said, I thought, Bears fan, not a Bears fan. I'm working on a Texans fan, but that's going to happen later. But my point also is, Bears fan. <laughs> you know, we talked a little bit about workforce and bias, and a big thing with me is the privacy issue because um, yep. privacy is really important. I guess because we're elected officials, and it feels like you don't have much privacy, but. Um, really respecting uh, individuals' privacy is very important. So I think that that's another area that we'll have to conquer too with regulations and how much um, you know, people and entities and companies know about us. You know? And sometimes we don't even know how much they truly know about us and what's being shared. So a lot of your colleagues in the Senate have been thinking about you know, what would need to go into a national privacy bill um, do you guys have any thoughts on what would be appropriate? Yeah, our Committee of Engine Commerce has jurisdiction, and guess who's on that <laughs> committee right now? Welcome, Robin. Thank you. Uh, the problem there, we had a couple bills, but not nothing got started because we had some bad, bad, bad things happen in our economy, big hacks. Lots of companies lost a lot of money, people were distressed, I've lost my credit card, my identity. We had some issues, these are data breaches, first of all, how do we define the breach? You remember Target three years ago was hacked terribly. Mm -hmm. The guys who hacked in there were there for three months. They came in, they found a little opening with a credit card, apparently slipped in there for a brief second. The window, the walls weren't up, they popped, they popped up after the card went in there. They got in there, probed around for a couple months. Here's information you want, just like a warehouse, move it over here and ship it out in small numbers. It took Target three months to find the breach. And so when did that start? When they got in there, when you found it out, how we gotta work to determine breach and privacy, I mean, this information is personal stuff. It can do real damage to an individual. If it's out there, you know, your health records, stuff like that. We gotta make sure DC, we take some time, but make sure this happens. And trust, work with the private sector, encourage them, these breaches, we know bad things are happening. How come we can't share our information with the private sector? There's a wall right now between us and private sector. Let's bring that wall down. Let them opt in to have briefings about threats across the world, because we know 
in the government more than private sector what's happening, where the bad guys are, what they're trying to do. Let's bridge that gap and help this economy grow. Again, this is our future, pure and simple. AI will be the 21st century America and the world. We have to embrace that. Just a couple of minutes left. Do either of you have any thoughts on uh, that question before, before we move on? Just my quick thing is uh, um, we have a really interesting perspective that our personal self in the digital world is somehow property, not ourself. And we really need to start thinking about our digital self and the ownership of us. Like we own ourselves, we own our thoughts. We should need to be digitally uh, uh, connected to ourselves and not have people selling us all around and have really rethink that architecture a little bit. The Europeans are doing an extraordinary job there, some of the South Americans. So if we need to follow that lead. Our, our congressional representatives are really uh, trying to take this up. Uh, which is great. It's the challenge of our time. Um, and so more transparency for the individual is really urgent. And then the only other thing is that we have Americans in our country who make all these systems. And we started to build structures with the US Digital Service, the 18F, the CTO team, and others to ask them to rotate into the most senior levels of government together with lawyers and operators and others. And so we need to keep doing that because these problems are harder than self-driving cars and precision medicine. They're, they're harder, they need a cross-functional team. And leaving the tech folks out of the room is a mistake. They don't know how to do it, but they know how to team up with people who know, and we can solve it together. Okay, lightning round, because uh, we've got just about a minute left. Uh, really great question from the audience here. How can local universities and their students participate in AI-related discussions happening on the Hill? Well, just get in touch with your congressperson, or like Robin, myself, and get engaged, for example, Congress now has a coding, little coding award. Every district encouraged to have a little coding. We, I went to Clements High School, gave them this big certificate, because these kids are amazing. They're coding, and high quality coding in high school. My high school was abacuses, and slide rules, <laughs> and fingers. These kids, and also robotics competitions. These things are amazing. These kids get so energized. And they're out there, these ro robots are doing amazing things. They learn technology, how to code. And so come out to Robin, myself, and get engaged. Also, as Megan said, push our schools. Teach these kids how to code as part of going to school. Great. Step up the plate, embrace the future. And also, um, I've, when people come to my office, and we've had hearings uh, on different topics, and so I go back to those very people and uh, say, would you participate in a hearing? And I was sharing in my district, we started a STEM academy, so we had all those people at the table that you just talked about having to help guide us. So um, I welcome, uh, because I'm definitely not the expert, but I welcome yeah. schools, and also I want to do everything I can to um, uh, enhance what our students can do and get them interested mm -hmm. in this field. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for now. Um, thank you all so much thank for joining you. me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.